CGI involves generating a model using various three-dimensional objects which have a defined data structure. Then, taking into effect elements such as geometry, viewpoints, texture, and lighting, rendering must be the process of calculating and fitting each object's properties into a finished digital image. How? I don't know, but in this episode, 2247, Bill and Sean Johnston, the CG Bros, will be explaining when they answer the commonly asked question, what is rendering in CGI? On the CG Bros, CG Insider Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the CG Insider Podcast. If you're a returning fan, it's really great to see you again. And if you're new to our podcast, a special welcome to you. In today's episode of the CG Insider Podcast, Sean and I will be providing an answer to another great question submitted to our Ask Us Anything page at cgbros.com, uh, this time by Attila B. from Century City, California. And Attila asks us, what is 3D rendering? I'm Bill Johnston, an industry veteran, and I specialize in 3D animation and digital VFX for folks like Activision, Sony Computer Entertainment, and Bungie. And by the end of our discussion today, you'll not only know what 3D rendering is, but you'll also learn a little background and what goes into it and how it makes CGI look so realistic. Also, be sure to stay to the end of our podcast where we'll be sharing uh, some advances in rendering technology that's already begun to change the world and uh, our future as we know it. I'm Sean Johnston, an industry veteran as well. Um, today, I'm a full-time animation director, uh, and I'm uh, grateful to be uh, your host for today's edition of the CG Insider podcast. As am I, and thanks for that great question, Attila. Uh, so, Sean, why don't we uh, jump right in? Uh, what is meant by the term 3D rendering? Let's, let's start with that. You want the, the technical definition? Yes. Uh, well. You know, or you can give us the technical or the, or the layman's term. Uh, either way, it's fine. I think. It's basically, it's analogous to uh, taking a photo in the physical world. So everything that you're seeing that you're taking a picture of, obviously a person or, or let's say a scene, you're, you're taking a picture and you're framing it and you're compositing and everything. And that's basically what you're doing in the computer as well, is you're framing the objects in your scene or environment or characters or whatever you have. And you're uh, basically taking a snapshot on it. And rendering is basically either software where you click the button and say render and has to do with all your lighting and your shadows and your textures and everything else in that scene. So that's basically what it is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, the process of basically creating an image from a computer software. <laughs> right, a 2D basically. image. Exactly. Of, of a 3D okay, right. scene, for example. There you go, right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, 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 and, and to your point, you know, they're, it could be, it's a, both a technical uh, subject as well as an artistic subject. There's both two, two, two different sides to this, this, for the process of 3D rendering uh, for CG. And it's just, it's, uh, it's pretty diverse and, and employs lots of different types of software to create different types of, of the images. And, you know, knowing how, you, you know, how you're going to, what you want your image to look like, you know, what you want your finished product to look like really would help in, in getting to that final rendered uh, stage uh, quickly anyway. And it's been very, um, it's come a long way since we first started, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, even going back to the history of it, I won't go into our own personal uh, stories yet, but back in a little bit of a history of it, I mean, some of the first renderings you'd saw on the computer were wireframe. Uh, one of the first ones was, Actually, um, a highway in 1961, there was a, a Swedish team that did this rendering of uh, an actual highway where you're driving down the highway. Um, and they actually broadcast this. I'm, I've sped it up about four times. You can kind of, you don't have to be struggling looking through it, but very, very simple line, line uh, vector drawings within the computer. And um, so that was like the original first, first time you get to see something rendered at all. 
Um, and uh, that was a, a planned highway that they had at the time. Was that in the 70s, you said? That was 1961, all the way back, oh, actually oh, oh. before I was born. So, in, in fact, it was a, it was a planned highway um, at, uh, in, in, in the Swedish Royal Insti- Institute of Technology, um, did it on a BESK computer, which I've never even heard of, B-E-S-K. Um, and it was broadcast uh, on uh, November 9th, 1961, on, on the national television. So they used you know, two-point located polygons, basically vector graphics uh, at the time, representing the images uh, on the computer. And then those points were defined a position in X, Y, uh, not to get too technical, but in the, the orientation in the, in the world, in the computer. So um, it was pretty neat. That reminds me of a video game I was so fond of. It actually taught me how to learn to drive. Datsun 240Z. I don't know if you remember that. It had a steering wheel mm-hmm. and a brake and accelerator, and you, you were driving, and it looks very similar to that depiction of what you're showing there. I do. I think the, the first realistic 3D road game, basically, uh, driving game, was it's called uh, Nurburgring. Uh, that one was 1976. In fact, this is a picture of the actual... You used to work at a company that actually manufactured these big uh, console type things uh, for video game, uh, didn't you? Uh, con- oh yeah, that was the Sega, Sega, Sega Gremlin. Yeah, we, we, we were quite popular. Frogger was a big hit uh, that, that we did. You actually had a con- one of these things in the house, didn't you? In your uh, yeah, I had several. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. I was, I was like, what are they doing? Anyway, that was... That was but uh, yeah, there's, there's some, some uh, games after that that actually Night Driver, I believe, in 1976 actually copied that, that game, which I didn't, wasn't aware of. So, yeah. You yeah, so in start? the 70s, they had a lot of advances in rendering technology. I mean, in the early 70s, they had raster graphics, and then they came up with the GRARD, uh, which was basically diffuse lighting in 1971. And, and 1974 was a big improvement with Fong, Blin, and and Catmull. Uh, Isn't it Garou? Models. Uh, uh, Garou. Yeah. Could, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. As well. Uh-huh. And uh, 1977, they came out with the, uh, which, and, and this was a, a big thing, anti-aliasing. And here's an example kind of of that where, you know, this prior to anti-aliasing and, and that basically it's a way of smoothing lines uh, by averaging the, the pixels in between them, uh, which was a big, big uh, advancement uh, at the time. Yes, and there's also the, the most important teapot in the history of 3D rendering. Who could forget? Uh, that was Martin Newell, and that was you saw it everywhere when we first started getting into 3D. It was in 3D Studio, DOS version. They had a, a picture of this. This is actually the original rendering of it. That uh, It's called the Utah Teapot or the Newell Teapot. And this was a test model that uh, basically became the standard reference object in in computer graph, the computer graphics community. Um, and the reason why was um, it, it had um, uh, complex curves on it. It had uh, a hole for the actual, where the water would come out of the teapot. And um, it, it, was, it was very, very um, prolific in all the computer uh, programs at the time. It's almost like the equivalent they say is like, uh, was the Hello World program. Um, and it was, it was a, pretty interesting thing now where they actually had that uh, teapot in a lot of, uh, it was actually an inside joke to it at some point, almost like, um, uh, well, let me show you a picture of this. This one here, this is when uh, in, in The Simpsons actually, it was used in that, that uh, when they did the 3D version of The Simpsons when they crossed over from 2D to 3D. And then of course in Toy Story, they, they did that in the actual tea party. Um, with uh, with Buzz, and it was in that scene as well. So you'll see it uh, 
in different, I think it was in some of the Windows screensavers at one point as well. And um, so very, very um, funny that that was actually used. It's still used today too. They've got, in fact, it's, it's called uh, Melita Teapot. And I didn't even know this, but um, the original physical, uh, it's actually, t- today it's in, um, it's in a, a museum, I believe in the uh, computer graphics uh, museum. And it actually is a, a real teapot from that time where they actually used that as, a, as an example. I guess the Newell's wife said, hey, make this, this object in 3D. And he did that first. Yeah, and, and yes, Global Illumination uh, came out in the early 80s, something like that, uh, which really improved the quality of 3D rendering. Here's an, ex- an example of, of that where, you know, you've got a single light source, which uh, kind of bounces and reflects off, and, and it's just kind of basically a level of sampling until you get from the, you know, the first image, first sample, until you get to the final uh, image in the back. And that's just with a single light source. You can see how the sampling, and the, it basically follows the rays through the scene as it, as it bounces off different objects. And uh, radiosity was, it was a big uh, advancement as well. Uh, here's a scene that uses basically uh, the, the, that principle, um, which was, was, was pretty amazing. Uh, when you could actually get objects in the scene to reflect off, you can actually see the ground, it's red. Sunlight hit coming in and hitting the red you know, ground and reflecting, you can see that it reflected up into the ceiling and onto the walls. It's, it was a pretty, pretty advanced rendering feature uh, to have come, come along. Yeah, it's actually global illumination is, you know, radiosity is pretty much, uh, pretty much the same. It's a, it's, it, radiosity is basically a global illumination algorithm. Um, and it, it, like you said, it, it, it reflects light from surfaces to the camera. And so it, it you're seeing, it's actually tracing the light from the camera that you're seeing that you set up in your scene and the light basically bounces off and goes to the camera reflecting that light. And then radiosity, that's why you see a lot like in early CG that didn't have radiosity. Um, you would see images like this where there's no bounced light. Everything out of these really, really hard shadows. And this is a, a version of it where you're using actually some radiosity as well. And so you have a lot of bounced light that you would normally see, which makes it more realistic. And yeah, here's uh, another version of that uh, that image there with, with without the color, kind of more more nostalgic. But you can definitely see how how the the halls light up, and you can you know it, it, the lights reflecting off the tile back up into the ceiling. Oh, and yeah. we can't forget uh, we can't forget uh, ray tracing. What an advancement ray tracing was, and here's an example of, of that. One of the first that was uh, I think that was in the early '90s, uh, 1991, I think, with Terminator 2, and they use it to great effect in in this movie here, for, especially for this clip and the other clips as well. But this is the this is the clip that everybody likes to look at where they, oh, I can see the reflection of, you know, of the environment. And that was, that was, you know, such a, a immersed him in the scene, uh, you know, basically put it, put him within the scene. And that's, that's key to, you know, integration of CGI and live action. Yeah. Ray tracing was a big thing we wanted to have in, in using it in, in a lot of the scenes that we did when we were doing cinematics and uh, interstitials for a lot of the game video games in the early PlayStation years. And uh, it was uh it took a long, long time to to make things that looked realistically, like for example, glass. I think you may have some examples of some some glass as well, um, and how the light comes through there and is refracted onto the ground that it's on. Like say you had a, a wine glass, or you know, just even a sphere that you had on a, on a ground plane. Um, light, how it reflects into it and comes out the other side and underneath it because you have all the shadowing that you want to, to render and make it as realistic as possible. But then you had the glass didn't look as real. I remember seeing a bunch of the Cornell um, boxes that they used to use um, to simulate 
you know, and, and see how balanced the light because they had one wall was green, one was red, and the back wall was white. Um, and so, uh, you know, th that kind of thing was really um, coveted. We really wanted to do that, and it was just it took so much, so long to render certain scenes if we turn ray tracing on that we just basically turned it off and that's why you have really bad looking 90s um cgi in, in, in video games because we just you couldn't make it as real you tried to make it as realistic as possible but you couldn't yes yeah, so that's the real it. challenge i think sean with 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 good well at least realistic looking cgi uh, these days is, is the is the the ray tracing or the the part that's involved with ray tracing which is reflections and refractions and and i mean if you tried to you know even, even it wasn't too long ago where you could ray trace, but you know, and you get some nice reflections in glass and stuff like that. But if you tried to set up a mirror, reflecting a mirror, reflecting a mirror, that would that would break the machine. You'd break right. the render. <laughs> or let's say your shadows. You you want basically you had shadow maps you would use for shadows, and there wasn't really soft shadows or area shadows. You wouldn't be able to get that. Um, but as soon as you turn on area shadows or ray tracing, you'd get those area shadows, and they would just take so much longer to to um, to bounce because if you look at certain shadows, it's darker towards the the object itself that's on the ground plane. It's darker and then it kind of uh, gradiates out or, or lightens up as it goes, um, you know, towards the edge of the shadow itself. Yes, and as powerful as some computers are these days at crunching numbers, that they're they're not powerful enough to cal calculate the actual behavior of light, uh, and that's what we're talking about here: is you know, the behavior of light creating shadows and reflections and refractions, and and we, you know, so even subsurface scattering for that matter. I mean, there's infinite subtleties and variations of the light in the real world, and so simulating that in a computer environment it has proved to be immensely challenging, especially in areas like for caustics. And here's an example of. Of, of, of why it takes so long is because the what light passes through the surface of the water here. I mean, you can actually see it ref reflected on the pool bottom, the, the caustics being projected there. And then those caustics are actually a light source and they're projecting up onto the wall there. And, and I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And they're very unique and very time consuming because the surface of water is very complex. And you, as you can see, uh, as well as the geometry of glasses uh, and, and the glass that we're talking about, not just reflections, but the actual caustics that go through the glass, the, 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 how the light plays through the material, and, and especially you know in, in in real world objects, you know this is this is one thing that and you you touched on it that really makes makes something look realistic in the real world is the caustics. I mean, look at the on the ground here. You're seeing actually the light bounce off the the, the contour of the car and the and the the wheels onto this reflective surface down here at the bottom. You can actually see that shape uh, of the light being projected. And, and, and same thing here with this jewel, this jewel egg. I mean, you can it creates very specific. I mean, the light behaves in very specific ways, and if it doesn't behave properly, or we perceive it, and it, it doesn't look real, and so trying to simulate this is extremely challenging. Yes, yes, and and there's also the you know if you wanted to animate it and you wanted motion blur, for example, that was something that took a lot of time to render as well. And a lot of times you you well you go back to your caustics things. We would use um, caustic, um, and you know we'd have um, probably an animation of somebody who took a video camera of a pool bottom. And you'd use that those uh, that AVI or that that uh, you know image sequence, and you'd, you'd project that into um, you know put it on one of your lights or something, and project it up onto the onto whatever you wanted that caustic effect to be. To give you that example, you wouldn't really real uh, you know use real caustics because it would just be too labor and you know calculation intensive. Um, and then of course there's also uh, subsurface scattering that we we wanted to talk about where. You know, you would have, for example, this particular um, image of a face. It looks good, 
but there's a light behind this this particular um, model, this character's head, and you'd want to see, hey, what's the light really going to do? Um, it looks very, very unreal, or the or, or the the skin doesn't look like it absorbs. Like light will bounce, like we've talked about, in your skin and come out and, and basically kind of permeate it to a certain level, almost like a candle. Um, but this is and it softens it. The light coming into the skin makes it soft and makes it look look a lot more realistic. And of course, you can see the ear right there where it's kind of thinner. Light kind of permeates through it. Um, and then, of course, if you have a stylized character, it, it makes it look more real as well. Almost looks like a real model that you could touch. Um, it just it just adds that photorealisticness to all of your renderings. Yes, and I think perfection. You know, people think that. You know, and that's one of the flaws of, of computer graphics is people, th and I see it myself, is, the, is computer graphics, they say, are too, is too perfect. Um, and as, you know, we've seen, uh, Sean, nothing's perfect in the real world, uh, except our children. But uh, I digress. Uh, but no, nothing is 100% symmetrical. Nothing in the world is spotless. You know, it's not 100% clean. Uh, I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of commercials uh, uh, for automobiles are shot in CG because, you know, it's a real pain to keep the, the cars clean. You have to dust those things. I mean, dust settles and you can see it on the paint. You can see the reflections of the cameraman. And so it's just easier to do, you know, car commercials and, and photographic images uh, for advertising and, and uh, promotional things using CG generated cars. It's just, but the problem with some of those is, you know, except for the most pristine ultimate vehicles, there's scratches in, in the paint. There's fingerprints on the paint. You know, there's stuff on the glass. There's dust, there's rust, dirt, stains, water, drops, whatever. Um, you know, uh, and in the normal world, there's wear and tear on objects. So, uh, you know, it, it, that our eyes and brains are really good at seeing, you know, perf quote, perfection patterns uh, in, in, the C in the CG. And that's, you know, we're, we could talk about that a little more in, in another, another time. But um, I just think that, uh, you know, from a rendering point of view, um, you know, getting to... You know, looking realistic and, and uh, is is going to be a, something we're just continuously moving towards because there's an infinite level of complexity uh, in the real world. And so, you know, since the computer can't render, you know, infinite things, it has to be limited somewhere. Yes. And back going back to um, subsurface scattering, I didn't realize this, but basically that has only been around um, in movies since around 2001. That was the first time it was actually used in a movie, um, The Lord of the Rings, as a matter of fact, of the Two Towers in 2002. Um, and so they had the, that realistic translucent material that was developed in, uh, for, for Gollum. And it just to totally, that's why you see this huge difference between like 90s um, to the 2000s uh, of, of CG and how much, how more real things became. And even like we've talked about in stylized versus um, you know, real, very realistic. There, there's, they, they, they meld together. They merge. And a lot of times, cause you want to see, uh, you can be stylized, but, um, you want it to be realistic as well. So if you're watching animation, for example, you, you there's, there's also all the principles of animation. So you're, you're, you're looking at, um, those, unless you want it to be like a cartoon where you've, you're, uh, that's very stepped, you know, we talked about that before where it's, you know, you're drawing every other frame or you're drawing, you know, you're on twos or, or, or even larger and, and things are just kind of skipping like a real cartoon. It depends on what you're trying to get. Um, but, um, you know, I, it, it's just amazing how it's come so far, uh, today there's, they're just, uh, it, the, the realism and the, um, 
and the ability to create realistic things today. We've talked about it before, how you can just basically, anything you can imagine, you can create now on the computer. Yes, and, cro- and crossing that boundary. I mean, you're talking, that, that image there that you're showing is, is, is hyper-realistic. I mean, it's, 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 it's photorealistic, but it's not, it's not realism. If, if you, it's, it's kind of what stylized, I can yeah. interpret mm-hmm. as real. Right, exactly, stylized, right. Um, and and uh, hyper-realism, is, in a lot of ways, just, you know, is a lot is very richly detailed. I mean, look at the look at the. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Well, uh, I can put it back on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it back up there. I just want to show you how de- how richly uh, like the skin, look, look at the skin on this guy. That you see the the detail uh, on these, and that's what I meant by hyperrealism. It, it's it's how it's very richly detailed. It's 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 it should appear it appears real, but it's not a photograph. You know. Um, yeah. It, look, it looks like a toy. It could be right there, a high res toy. <laughs> really, really. That's a cool, highly that's detailed. A cool toy. I, I really like that. And so, you know, and here's another example, quickly of of uh, you know, this is a uh, a stylized version. This is by Philip Stoltz, an example of some art that he created. Uh, this is basically a stylized uh, uh, version uh, that he created. But then, if you want to do a more real, realistic render of that stylized, here's a here's a realistic render of that. They're both fantasy based and and stylized, but you can see the difference between you know, say the the, the renders. Actually, you know, you can definitely see the, the contrast there. Yes. And then, of course, they've got, um, you know, things called tune shaders, obviously, for rendering um, non-realistic stuff. Um, then they've got uh, um, instances. And that's a lot of times in your scenes, they, instead of um, creating one object and then duplicating it all, they'll have instances of that same object within the same scene. Um, and then denoising is, is another thing that they, uh, in a rendering uh, pass, they'll either denoise or add noise to to your um, the render to make it look, like you said, less CG created. Um, and then there's also Bloom, which is another thing that they, they uh, want to simulate real uh, Bloom. For example, right here in this, this is a video game example, but it, 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 it basically is that effect where you're, re- you're producing you know, artifacts that you'd see in the normal real world cameras. Um, so you'd, you'd see those on the, on the fringes of feathers or where the light ex- you know, extends beyond the border and kind of bleeds into the, the image area. And here's another example, how much realistic, how much more realism is, is involved with adding just Bloom to, to video games. And then, of course, HDRI, um, which are basically high dynamic range image maps that you're using as opposed to, um, you know, low uh, dynamic range uh, or low range maps that they were using that we used to always use. And the difference is basically, I think 0 to 255 is the low image range that you'd normally see in early, um, you know, 90s videos uh, or even film and now with with hdri you're actually seeing a, a, um for example right here here's there's one on the left you can see is as low and the the high range um dynamic ranges on the right it also gives you the reflections of the environments basically a spherical ball that they create um and this is kind of how they they uh, they do it it's almost like this room it creates a spherical ball it affects the lighting of the actual objects you're trying to render and gives it that added realism. So you can have high brightness, low, very, very dark blacks. So you're having these really nice contrasted images and with all every all the in-between. So you're not stuck with that zero to 255. Um, and so you can get realistic renders like this car. It's not really in the scene, but the, the environment that you see it in is actually looks like this. That's the high definition or high dynamic range image that they're, they're using. Um, it's just a spherical ball that wraps around. So, 
very yes, very and they're actually using that in, in the technology like that in the real world. Uh, here's a an example of a of a car company, the Pagani Immersive Experience Platform Project, and it's it's platformed on on Unreal Engine, and they're they basically uh, you know go you can go to their website, and this is all real time rendering, by the way. You go to their website and you configure the car. Uh, you, you you can make it unique and and a, a very hype, hyper realized you know piece of art if you could afford something like this. But basically, because every uh, vehicle is, is customized and built exclusively for each customer, uh, the, the the company doesn't have to have physical cars available in all their stores and all the different configurations that they have. And they can the customer comes right to the website and can can choose you know the color of their the leather, the type of styling, the stitching, the the, the, the wheels, uh, anything they want, and they can preview their car just like here and uh, in real time. And, uh, you know, even go take it for a test drive, amazingly enough. But, you, you know, you can detail the wheels and all, all, everything that they, they use as options, you can actually visualize in real time. It's just an amazing technology. And, you know, we're almost at a place, Sean, where, at least for practical, pur practical purposes, um, <laughs> We're not going to be able to tell the difference between, uh, you know, our, our, our senses are going to say one thing and, you know, our eyes, we're going to see something and it won't be real. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing technology. I mean, we're, we're right on the cusp of, of some, some, some interesting stuff. I, I agree 100%. I know we're running to late on this, uh, this podcast. But I was going to just go into some of the stylized stuff you can do to render as well, which is basically non-photorealistic rendering. Uh, in fact, Netflix has a series called Arcane. I don't know if you've seen it, Bill. It's pretty cool. They actually have this. It's a more artistic looking way of, of all. And they paint it, you know, kind of painted style that's for the characters cool. and stuff. But this is just, this is Unreal as well. Where you can, it's a shader that's in, in Unreal um, that you can use. So it's like almost a crosshatch drawing in real time. Beautiful, huh? Definitely. And, you know, you can use any kind of software to create uh, some, some of these images. We're showing you a lot of Unreal uh, stuff and, there's some some really great images that you can create in Unreal. Uh, you can you can use Maya. Uh, you can use uh, you know Blender. Uh, you know you can use really any of the major software programs. But the, I think the the real challenge is 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 uh, you know getting the lighting correct. And you can see in this image here, it's it, how important it is to kind of get the get the light coming through blades of grass and 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 just at that level of realism. Uh, there's just so many uh, advances and and uh, the technology now. I, I mean has really improved as well. I mean, the hardware has really made all the rendering possible. I mean, looking at what NVIDIA is doing. Um, so yeah, if you can get some NVIDIA cards, those will really help you out as well. Yeah, um, this is a, this is real quickly. This is from Blender. Um, this is uh, Tony uh, Mortero. He did this, uh, the shader for uh, Blender. I believe it's like 28 bucks and you can, you can download it and uh, use this uh, and make your own little character with, uh, with uh, basically a, a pencil looking shader. It's, it's uh, really neat what you can do today. Just, just uh, I could yes, go on and, there, and on. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's other renderers as well. Lumion and V-Ray are just to name a few. Uh, Twin Motion, uh, you know, you've got uh, uh, you know the uh, renderer in Houdini. It's just pretty darn nice. Uh, so yeah, you've got a lot of options. Arnold uh, out there as well. So yeah, Redshift. Um, yeah, for sure. There's just a lot of them. Well, we want to thank you for being part of our podcast today. Uh, we do do them exclusively for you, and we really had a great time answering. Uh, Attila's question, uh, what is 3D rendering? And we hope that you learned something that you didn't know along the way, because we believe that one should learn at least one thing new every week, whether one needs to or not. And if you did enjoy it, uh, do us a solid and share it around with some of your friends, because, you know, word of mouth is still the best kind of advertising. Uh, and hit that like button, too, because it helps YouTube find other people like you who are interested in what we talk about here in the podcast, which is CGI and VFX related stuff. 
Uh, and by the way, um, if you've got us a subject that uh, you'd like us to talk about here on the podcast, you can let us know by heading to the website at cgbros.com, uh, up to the About Us tab and clicking on the Ask Us Anything dropdown, just like Attila did. And also, we're, uh, again, looking to improve our podcast, and we need your input. Please leave us a comment below. And if you do, uh, we, there's a good chance we may even read it uh, on one of our podcasts. No guarantees, but we may do that. Just in case you didn't know, we also bring you a new cutting-edge edition of the CG Insider right here every week, and, uh, where we discuss everything having to do with uh, computer graphics, CGI animation, digital VFX, as well as other related and interesting topics. Oh, yeah. And you can also find audio versions of our podcasts on all the major audio podcast platforms as well. So be sure to check out the CG Bros YouTube channel. If you've not been there, go and you get your front row seat for some amazing uh, short film entertainment, uh, as well as uh, some really amazing VFX breakdowns and making ofs uh, by some of the most talented new media producers out there and VFX studios as well. Uh, Definitely. And Sean and I are both looking forward to seeing uh, you here. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sean. It's okay. <laughs> you go. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys here next week uh, where we will be answering another great fan question. Um, how is 3D scanning used in CGI? Uh, that should be illuminating. I think about scanners when I hear scanning. Well, that's it for today. We sure hope you've enjoyed the CG Bros answer to the question, what is rendering in CGI? Thanks for being with us. If you watched us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please hit the super thanks button where you can buy us a cup of coffee. Please give us a thumbs up too. Be sure to leave a comment because we might share it on a future podcast and give you a personal shout out by name. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free and ring the bell so you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. Oh, and uh, don't forget to tell all your friends that they too can enjoy the audio-only version on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Samsung Podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible.com, and Stitcher. And here's a free bonus. If you'd like even more insider information delivered right to your inbox, subscribe to our free CG Insider monthly newsletter. Go to our website, thecgbros.com, and sign up. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, how is 3D scanning used in CGI? This has been episode 2247 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time.